So good morning, everyone. It's great to be here this morning. And it's really good to be part of this series that we're looking at on Galatians um, today. We've been following it through for the last uh, few weeks. Um, and we've got to a really interesting point now in the letter. Um, Paul's been spending quite a lot of time going into some of the theological um, depths of some of the truths about the law and um, about Jesus and all that he's done for us. And as we get to this point, Paul's going to give us a little bit of a breather because he's actually going to give us some really helpful, practical pictures to allow us to understand this in a deeper way. Um, So I was really pleased to be able to do this because I'm someone that kind of likes to operate and think through visual pictures. So this was a great sermon for for me to have a, a little look at. Because the the Galatians, the people that were receiving this letter, were facing um, an interesting point, an interesting time in history. They were a new community um, that had formed. And they were trying to make sense of who they were and what they stood for. What did it mean as a community of followers of Jesus? Um, What did it look like? What did they believe? How did they operate? And uh, Paul gives them this letter and some really practical teaching um, in this section to help them work through some of this together. You see, they knew they were followers of Jesus. They had that in common. But like a lot of the new communities, uh, Christian communities, they were quite a mixed bunch of people. Um, There were quite a few Gentiles um, in in this part of the church. Um, There were some from Jewish backgrounds. And we know from the passage that we're going to read that there were also men and women in this new community. And there were slaves and there were also free people as well. So it was quite a mixture of social class too. And they were trying to work how this this all fitted together, whether they needed to continue to follow a very Jewish way of life, which would mean following the law, following the Torah, or was it somehow now different for them? And if the law didn't control them anymore, did that mean that they could do anything they wanted to, behave how they wanted to? What was God actually calling them and asking uh, for them as a community of believers? What did it look like? So this is a really exciting time for the church, isn't it? Um, They've begun to try and work all this out. But also there's a little bit of uncertainty maybe in here, a little bit of insecurity. Because that kind of previous structure, knowing where they were, where they were going, that kind of the structure of the law, that maybe wasn't there for them now. Maybe God was calling them into a new way of being a community that had learnt from the past and used the blessings that God had given in the past, but was now being expressed in a new way. And as we go through this passage now, we're going to start hearing about this. We've been talking about the importance of faith and how that um, brings you um, into this community of, 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 of Christian believers. And as we follow into the series, we're going to learn a little bit more in depth about the importance, the reliance that this new community had on that with the ho- needing the Holy Spirit as well. 
So let's have a little look at this passage now. We're going to read it through. We're going to uh, read from Galatians 3. And uh, we're going to start from um, verse 23, and we're going to go into uh, chapters 4, taking it through to verse 7. So if you want to follow that in the Church Bibles, it's page 1170. Galatians 3. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, we are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. For what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were under age and we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So that's an amazing statement, isn't it? We're going to be talking about what it means to be an heir this morning. But one of the things I just wanted to uh, think about, thinking about images and pictures which help us understand um, a little bit about life and truth and challenges us to think. I wanted to share with you to start with an image that um, a friend, a colleague of mine at work shared a couple of weeks ago. We were sitting at work over lunch and we started to talk about, I don't know if you ever have these conversations, of significant points in history when something major happened and you can just remember where you were that day because it was such a big piece of news. It was so um, life-changing that you could remember where you were. And uh, my colleague's from Romania and she told this lovely picture of how she can remember being in her um, kitchen at home with her parents They were huddled round a radio, and they were um, listening um, to an illegal radio station that they weren't allowed to listen to. They had to be really quiet um, so that the neighbours couldn't hear. And then they heard this breaking news, and you might remember where you were when you heard this. They heard that the Berlin Wall was starting to be broken down. I kind of think, oh my goodness, that sense of... (gasps) 
moment. I don't know if any of you felt that at all when you saw it on your um, television screens um, many years ago when that happened. But can you imagine what it might have been like for communities that were, in a sense, feeling imprisoned and... Um, and uh, hemmed in and controlled to hear that maybe freedom was on the way. And she described how exciting that had been for them as a family. They couldn't really talk about it um, outside of their, the privacy of their home, but they began to believe that something amazing was beginning to happen and that somehow, at some point, that might affect them and that they might be free. And that's an amazing story, isn't it? That point, that key point in history for them, that idea of freedom. And I thought about that story as I was looking at this passage because this passage is all about this key point in history that changed everything and changed um, the, the people um, of Galatia and that Gentile church, the Jewish people. It changed everything and the future ahead for them. You see, the coming of Jesus changed everything. It was an historical point in history that just changed the world. It was momentous, and it was historical. And for this new early church that were trying to work out how to do church together, it was a new age for them. A new age had come. It was a new age of God's kingdom coming to earth that Jesus had brought. He, in his life and his death, we've been singing about this this morning, but also in his resurrection, changed everything. And all of a sudden, people needed to think about life in a different way. And this community needs to think about life in a different way. So Paul is there to help them to try and work through some of this. And he gave some really helpful pictures that we're going to um, have a look at this morning. And this is what we're going to focus on. We're going to think a bit about a prison cell. We're going to think about the idea, the picture of a guardian. And then he talks about baptism and then being an heir. And we're going to use those four visual pictures. And I want you to try and use your imagination um, as you join in with Paul as he talks about these things. So let's think first of all about this image of a prison cell. This is a small place. There's bars at the window. You can't see out of the window because it's so high up. You can't leave this place because the doors are barred. And your whole existence is defined by these four walls that surround you. Everywhere you go, you're being watched. How does this place feel for you? What's it like to be in a prison cell? For me, this is an oppressive place. It's a place that doesn't go anywhere. It's a place that has no future. And this is what Paul is talking about at the beginning of these verses. This is what it's like living under the Jewish law. It surrounds us. It imprisons us. It restricts us. And then Paul goes on and he uses another visual picture just to extend this understanding, this metaphor a little bit further. He then talks about this idea of a guardian. It's a slightly more subtle picture. 
This is something that uh, we understand this today, don't we? We have a sort of legal status of guardian. Um, we usually, um, it's an adult that stands in place of a parent to care and look after a child. And you might sort of think about it maybe as an idea as a protector type role. But for Paul's readers, they would have immediately understood this picture that Paul was writing about. Because he used this word here at the top, this Greek word, which is pedagogos. I apologize for any Greek scholars in the room, because I might have not pronounced that correctly. But they would have understood what this word was, because it was a particular role in the household of a wealthy household. This would have been somebody whose role it was, was to be a guardian or to look after the younger children, particularly the male children in the household. Some um, Bible translations use the term disciplinarian, so you're starting to get a picture now of what this role might be like. They were usually old and trusted um, slaves who had high character, um, and it was their job to instill morals and discipline into the young boys of the family. They followed them wherever they went, um, and they even went into lessons with them. And if you look at this um, very old bowl, you can actually see one of these um, pedagogos. And here's the gentleman that's sitting on the chair with the hook. Um, they believe that's what his job was, and he's keeping an eye on the young boy who's having his lessons. So this is what Paul's talking about, this kind of, this role, this person, um, when, he's, when he's giving this visual picture. And for Paul, this is exactly what the Jewish law had achieved. It gave direction, it gave moral structure, and it brought the believer to Christ. But the law itself couldn't actually change the person. It could only show them where they had fallen short, where they got things wrong. It was only Jesus, Paul said, that could actually deal with the wrongdoing, do something about it. The law just could show the sin up. It was helpful, but it wasn't enough. So let's just pause with these two visual images that um, Paul's given to us in this part of the passage. He's talked about this idea of a prison cell, this oppressive place, and uh, this idea of a guardian, the disciplinarian. And the problem for us is, is that we also have this challenge. We might not feel that we're living under the Jewish law now, but we can still kind of live in this sort of situation. We can try to be a really good person, can't we? To live our life by strong ethical and moral principles. And that's, that's okay, that's all right in itself. But the trouble is, if we follow these things through religiously, a bit like the law, it can suffocate us, it restricts us. And however good we are, we at some point are gonna break those rules that we've set up for ourselves, those moral rules. Because not one of us here can say that we're perfect. It's just an impossible burden to place on ourselves and we're doomed to fail. We're gonna miss the mark of moral perfection, whoever we are. And the trouble is it takes us to a dead end place. It's a way of living that restricts us, a bit like having a guardian following us all the time, a bit like being imprisoned um, in a prison cell. 
So what's the solution to this situation? And, and how, how are the Galatians going to learn? What, how do they move forward as a church family as they try to work out some of this? Well, as we look through the, the, the passage, Paul tells us some really important truths. And he basically builds on a lot of the arguments that we've been uh, talking about in the last few weeks from this letter. We no longer have to live like this, with this kind of pressure of moral perfection. Because as we've already said, something universal, something life-changing has happened. The Lord Jesus has come, and this is a new era of faith. And this idea of faith and believing in Jesus, Paul joins to another word, and you can see that in verse 24, the word justified. The law, Paul says, can guide us, it can take us to Jesus, but when Jesus came, it changed everything. It changed our relationship to the law, and consequently, our relationship to God. And that's what this passage is all about. And to explain this a little bit further and trying to open up this idea of being justified, I'm going to make my own contribution of a picture this morning, a metaphor to help us think about this a little bit more deeply. And I want to link this with an idea. And it is this idea of being justified or the idea of Jesus taking my place. Jesus taking my place. So let's have a look at this image. I don't know if any of you have ever seen this uh, painting in real life. Some of you might have done. It belongs, to the national, uh, it belongs in the National Gallery here. Um, it's part of the collection that belongs to us as British people. And um, you can go and see this in Trafalgar Square if you want to. Alice and I uh, went into the gallery uh, a couple of weeks ago, and this is, what, this is a picture that, um, that I kind of took and, and thought about when I was reading this passage. It's a picture of a firing squad and it's by Manet. It's quite shocking. It's quite a shocking painting when you go into the gallery. And if any of you have seen it, you'll know it's absolutely massive. It covers a huge wall. And as you go into this area of the gallery, it sort of like really dominates the room. And as you look at it, it's a real, really quite a shocking thing to paint. But why have I put this picture up to try and explain to you this visual image of being justified? You see, the problem is, we've discovered this morning that the law, although it was given to us um, by God to show us how to live, as humans, we constantly fall short. We break it. We fail to keep the rules that God has given to us. You see, the law shows my faults. It shows that I've done wrong. It shows that I should be punished. But what if the consequences of my sin, of my wrongdoing, of breaking the law, is that I should die? Paul tells us in Romans, he tells us that the wages of sin is death. And what if, as this judgment is being administered to me, Someone else chooses to step in the way of the bullet, literally taking my place, sacrificing their life for mine, meaning that I am them free to live because my penalty under the law has been paid by another person 
Or another word you might want to use that Paul used a little bit further in this passage as we read through is the word redeemed. I've been brought back, it's been paid for. That's amazing, isn't it? Because of the sacrifice of that person, I'm now free to live. My penalty has been paid for. And that, Paul says, is what Jesus has achieved for us. An amazing, an amazing gift that he gives to us. Jesus chose to take our punishment that he didn't deserve so that we could be free. Isn't that an amazing truth, an amazing gift that we are given? And the key thing that unlocks this amazing gift of being saved, is another word that you might use, or of being justified before the law, is faith, believing in Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us. So I wonder, do you know about this amazing gift? Have you ever opened it this morning? This idea of Jesus taking your place. And if you do, how do you live your life? With thankfulness for this amazing thing that Jesus has done for you? Our debts are paid. We're free. We're no longer imprisoned. Hallelujah. That's great news. That's good news, isn't it, this morning? And if you don't know about this experience and you want to know what it is to be free, it's there for you. It's a free gift this morning. And we'd love to pray with you and talk to you about this. So do come and have a chat with someone on the stage here or speak to Ellen or talk with a friend that you've come with that has faith and discover about this amazing free gift um, that Christ has for you. Paul then goes on to talk about this. We're going to move on to the, 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 the third visual picture that Paul gives us in this, in this passage, and that's of baptism. I don't know if any of you um, have, have uh, seen a baptism. Many of you would have done here. We've got a baptistry here. It's down here on the, on the floor. It's a great um, service to be part of, isn't it, as people choose to be baptised. And um, as already been mentioned, we've got a service coming up in November, so that might be something for some folks to think about. Um, But it's really great to be able to talk about this visual picture that Paul gives us this morning. Baptism is an amazing visual picture that we act out Um, and has huge, deep truths attached to it. And uh, Paul talks about this when he gives us this picture. So you might want to imagine a baptism now and think about it, Um, this idea of going into the water, being plunged right down, and then being brought out. You see, as we go down into the water, we die. We die to the law and to all the wrongdoings that I've talked about. And then baptism talks and shows us this idea of being cleansed, this failure not to be able to keep the law. It's all washed clear. Um, it's We're washed clean. And then this is amazing visual picture as the person comes out of the water of resurrection into new life. Death no longer has power over us. And we come out afresh into this new life. It's a symbolism of coming back into this new life with Jesus. And Paul gives us a lovely little bit of detail there about um, baptism in the early church. 
because it was um, quite common for people to totally undress. Unfortunately, we don't do this here, and you'll probably be quite glad of that. Um, but then go into the water, and as they came up, they were given these new clothes, these white clothes. And it was this idea almost of discarding the old life and then putting on the new life of Christ, with Christ around you like a set of clothes. It's a lovely sort of symbolic picture, isn't it, of this idea of baptism. And baptism is also a great leveller, isn't it? And uh, Paul again talks about that in this passage. It doesn't matter who we are. We all go into the water and we all get wet. We are all the same. And Paul uses this, this, the social, some of the social inequalities of his, of his day just to really emphasise this. For, the, um, for the, the community that he's speaking to, he's telling them that it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter if you're slave or free, or if you're male or fe- female. We've all fallen short, and we're all equally given the gift of life by, um, by God through Jesus. We are all equal as we do church community together. And that's a real challenge for us, isn't it? That's a real aspiration for us as we do church here at CBC. We should reflect this equal worth that each one of us has before God, whoever we are. And we should be a faith community that reflects this diversity All should feel welcomed here in our church family and feel that they belong to this family here um, at CBC. And then finally, I'm going to show you the last picture um, that Paul gives us. So if, if it isn't enough to hear about forgiveness and starting again and this idea of being of equal value, there's another great, beautiful picture that um, Paul gives to us in this passage. And it's this um, picture here, this illustration of being an heir. And you can see that in verse 29. And this is a particular heir that, um, that Paul talks about. First of all, this heir isn't a child. It's an adult who's come of age. And this heir isn't an heir that's come from the family itself. It's an heir that has been adopted. And uh, if you look at that passage, um, I often used to look at this um, when I was a bit younger and wonder why it was only sons that that could be adopted here. What about the, about the, the, the girls in the family? What happened to them? Well, Paul's using this again um, in the context of this church. You would have totally understood this because it's about a legal, um, Roman legal position that it was only male heirs that could inherit. And of course, we already know from the verses before that Paul has told us that there are no barriers to coming and um, inheriting, being part of God's family. Whether we're male or female, we are all equal. So Paul's just using this as a kind of local example of what it, it means. Each one of us can be like this heir that's adopted. Each one of us um, is part of this idea of sonship, whether we're male or female, adopted into God's family. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? Not only um, have we got a new start and fresh li- a fresh life, a new beginning um, that Jesus brings us, it also means that we become part of God's family and we become God's children. That's a beautiful picture of intimacy and closeness and relationship um, with our Father. 
And I just wanted to highlight just two things about this idea of being God's child before I finish. The first one is this idea of the heir. When they come of age, they inherit all the resources, all the privilege, all the status that has been passed down through their family for generations and generations. And Paul writes about that in verse 29 of the passage. He says, if we belong to Jesus, then we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So what's Paul talking about there? Well, basically he's saying the coming of Jesus that we've talked about earlier not only fulfilled the requirements of the law, it also allowed God to fulfill a promise that he made way back to Abraham at the beginning of the of the Jewish people's history right back at the beginning God made a promise to Abraham that he would be um, their God or Abraham's God and his family's God um, and that he would bless the whole of the world all nations um, through this family and that's us we're part of this family now when we become believers We become adopted children and we join this amazing history that started way back with Abraham that God promises to be our God. It's a really beautiful reminder, isn't it, that God is in control, that he has a plan for the world, that he will fulfill it, that he is a God who keeps his promises. He had a plan for the Galatian church to build them into this unified, vibrant Christian community. And he's also got a plan here for us at CBC. We're part of that plan. And he's going to use us as a church as we move forward. He'll take all the things and all the history that we've had as we continue to grow. And he will continue to build us into his church. Things will change things will be different. But as we move on as a church, we know that God is with us, that his promises he will keep, and that he will see his plan for us through to a completion. And that's great, isn't it, as we think about moving forward as a church, that God is with us, that he is totally committed to us um, as a church family, as our father. And then my final thought... What an extraordinary way for Paul to address God. He calls God Daddy. Um, He talks about us speaking to God as Abba, which is a term you sometimes hear it still in the Middle East that small children will use to speak to their daddy. That's the word that he used. And that's what Jesus has achieved for us, that we can come into the presence of the creator of the world our amazing God, our holy God, we can come into his presence as his children and we can call him daddy. Without shame, we can come freely into his presence. And that's a brilliant thing to think about as we think about our relationship um, with God. Jesus changed so much, didn't he? Um, And we have inherited all that. I'm just going to invite the, the band to come up now just as I, um, as I sign off for the end of the, the talk here. But um, I just wanted to uh, just say as we finish that it's, it's great to just think about where we started at the beginning of the talk, this idea of an image of being in a prison 
or this idea of failing, of being oppressed in a dark place. And we've moved all the way through to belonging and being part of into this wonderful relationship that we have, this intimate picture of being an heir. And that's about welcome, it's about acceptance, it's about freedom, and it's about love. And Jesus has achieved this for each one of us so that we might become children of God. A community here at CBC that's centered on our faith in Jesus. That's reliant on the Holy Spirit taking us forward into the future and that is dependent on our Heavenly Father, our Abba Daddy. Hallelujah.